Tonight is fitting. The worship was incredible, and I loved it. It was so amazing. But something that, um, that I want to uh, get into tonight is um, what hinders what just happened. Yes? Yes, thank you. That was, that's why I needed an announcement. Uh, next week, next Wednesday night, in here, uh, Rex All Church will be here. It's going to be an amazing time. So please, we encourage you to come. Rex Allchurch. Um, he has come a couple of different times. He is from England, and he um, uh, moves in the prophetic very strongly, and he has um, a great uh, calling on his life to uh, minister to people. And I, I don't know, I, raise your hand if you've been ministered before, if you've experienced that firsthand. Okay, it is powerful. God has really moved in a lot of people's lives, and so I really encourage you. He comes and, and, and gives the word and shares testimony and... and uh, you may get a word, so be blessed in that. Um, am I forgetting anything else before we? Thank you for that. Um, I wanted to talk tonight about what could hinder what we just experienced. And what I mean by that is that um, we have an amazing ability to call upon the name of the Lord and his spirit comes and we're able to uh, experience him in greater levels. But I'm sure, like me, there are moments in your life where you're thinking, I feel like I'm doing everything right, but yet I really just don't sense his spirit on it. I don't sense his spirit of blessing. I really don't feel like I can move in signs and wonders. I don't feel like when I walk into the room, the presence of God is on me and people experience it. I don't feel like it's flowing out of me in the way that it should. And so what I want to talk tonight is some hindrances to his spirit. But I want to dive in first with this verse. If you want to turn to it in your Bibles, you can. It's Joel 2. I'm going to go 12 through 17. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Who knows whether or not, or not he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children, even the nursing infants. The bridegroom, let her, let her leave her room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests... The ministers of the Lord weep and say, spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the people, where is their God? I don't want for you in your life to ever walk into a situation where you meet someone, you develop a relationship, and after three months, they have no idea that the Spirit of God is resting inside of you. And that last part when we are not able to walk in the boldness of authority that we actually are called to, that right there happens where people ask, what in the world did I do? I just made it go away. They ask, where is their God? I don't want that for your life. I don't want that for this church. So I want to go back up really quickly, and I want you to look at this because it's leapt off the page to me, because we've heard this verse, I'm sure you've read this verse, I'm sure you've heard teaching on this verse before, most of you have, and I want you to look at um, fasting, weeping, and mourning, but I want you to look at what happens, right, it says right before and then right after, 
because it's that fasting, weeping, and mourning, the things that it says to do are sandwiched right in between two issues that are not physical things. It says, return to me with all your heart with those things, and right after, rend your heart and not your garments. When I was reading that, I had to take a double take a few different times and say, okay, it says heart, and then it lists these three things, which I feel like many times is something we're supposed to do, and then it, right afterwards it says, it's a heart issue. So it's pounding in there, it's a heart issue. You want his, more of his presence, you want um, his spirit to come down, it's a heart issue. And I said, so Lord, why? I know that we fast, and I know that many times um, we intercede and pray for his spirit to come, so why is, uh, we, we, I feel like we're getting the heart issues right, so what is this word, and what does it mean to really fast and weep and mourn? So I want to look at this, because we just said it, it's a battle over the heart, and we have these three things, and as I was beginning to pray, the Lord really unfolded an amazing thing that I had really never seen in this verse before. And I want you to look at these three things right now as individual things. Um, and they also relate to three giants, and I say giants because if you've ever heard um, Rick Sampson or Bob Mumford ever preach, anybody ever heard of the seven giants? Has anybody ever heard that message before? Okay, if you've not, I'll just briefly, what it talks about is that there are seven, seven huge hindrances to love coming from God into our heart and being able to be poured back out into other people. There's, three, there's seven huge ones, and these three are what I saw in this verse. First, fasting. I know it's weird, and I will, I will unfold this in a minute, but um, this first giant, feel good. This is a... Uh, huge hindrance, and I know this, this might sound weird, but feel good is a huge hindrance to actually what God's doing sometimes. You feeling good about your situations in life actually can be a hindrance, not what God wants. Weeping, as I unfolded this, related to looking good. And we do a lot of things on our exterior and and, and put up a facade and make ourselves a lot of times really look good on the outside. And the Lord countless times in Scripture says, it's not about the outward appearance. It's what's going on in the heart. It's deeper. We just saw it said, rend your heart and not your garments. And mourning had to do with staying in control. And that's the third giant. And I know right now you're like, holy cow, that like, like really doesn't look like it mashes up. But I promise it does, and I want to show you why. But staying in control is trying to control all the people and circumstances and everything around you. And if you want more of God in your life, if you want more of his presence in your life, you're going to have to relinquish control sometimes. Actually, I'd say most of the time. You're going to have to relinquish control because the more that man controls it, the less God gets involved because we don't let him. I want you to look at feel good first. James 4.3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. What I mean, the, another word for pleasures there in different translations is actually uh, possessions. And he says, I am not 
you ask, and I withhold from you because your motives are wrong. And this heart issue right here, um, in fasting, how many of you guys enjoy fasting? It's awfully quiet in here. How many of you guys have lasted longer than a three-day fast? Yeah? Has anybody been brave enough to ever go on a 40? That is serious. Whew. Bless you. That is serious. It's not an enjoyable thing. Does fasting feel good to your flesh? Does denying your, what, you, what your carnal desires are feel good? No, it does not. I would say rare occasions does, but no, it does not. Feel good wants to control our emotions, our mind, our heart. This giant has kept more people from freedom than you or I can imagine. Feel good involves the avoidance of pain and discomfort at any cost. It is committed to personal pleasure or gain. It is many times given to the senses or the sensual, and it says that senses are, are more important than heart issues, that what I feel on the outside is more important than what's going on on the inside. Many careers and ministries and families have been destroyed by this giant, and if you've ever struggled with substance abuse, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that feeling good is a trap, because your desire for your flesh to feel good can suck you into a place where that's all that matters. So, this feel-good spirit, it's, we actually have to replace this feel-good spirit. And I, as I'm naming these things, I want you to really try, if you can, to relate um, and think about some of in your li- own life so that we can replace any lies that you have in your heart with the truth. It says in Matthew, right after the Sermon on the Mount, uh, says that if you pray for someone and a spirit, uh, evil spirit inside them leaves, and nothing fills the house afterwards, everything's swept up, it's cleaned out, but nothing possesses that space that was emptied, then that evil spirit that went away has authority to come back sevenfold. So when I say this, if you identify something and you're like, you know what, I do struggle with that. I, I choose feeling good over being in God's presence. For me, I've, most of the time it feels pretty good to me. But sometimes I know you go through seasons where you struggle and you're like, this doesn't feel really that great. Or maybe um, feeling good has caused you to make bad decisions, if you relate to any of this, I want you to take it, I want you to grab hold of it, and when I, when I show you where it's, what it's supposed to look like, I want you to try, if you can, to replace the lie with the truth so that you don't just clean up the house, but truth replaces it, and it's healthy in the inside. An attitude of fasting is denying oneself, taking up their cross, and becoming a servant in God's kingdom. It means... When I'm, instead of choosing feel good, instead of choosing a thing that would make me feel good, an attitude of fasting says, no, God's got something better. I'm not saying that you should never feel good. I turn on the TV. I watch movies too. We all do. We all, um, 
go through life and we experience life uh, and have great times where you're like, you know what, I feel great. But what I want you to look at is that that can be a trap and it sucks us in. That's what addiction is, is that it feels good and it pulls and it pulls until it pulls you off a cliff. I want you to think about it this way. The attitude of fasting is based on the rejection of being controlled by our feelings and the acceptance that his kingdom is more important than our carnal desires. Rejecting me having to feel good all the time and saying, all right, Lord, what is your kingdom? If you want more of the Lord in your life, there's going to have to be an element of your life in fasting. There's going to have to be an attitude in your heart where I, will, I am willing to say no to good things so that I can have better things. I've said this before. Uh, the good is the eternal enemy of the best. The good thing that you think is really good right now is actually the enemy of the best, and the best being what God has for you. So I'm, t- I'm challenging you, don't choose the feel good. If you want more of God in your life, create a space in your life where fasting is important. Let's move on to the next one. Look good. Now, I know that right now, weeping and mourning, we almost always see those, ver- those two words together in a verse. And we most of the time relate them as the exact same thing. Um, when I opened this up, I realized they're re- actually very, very different. Weeping is not the same as mourning. Weeping has to do with personal grieving. I can cry in the middle of this service right now, and it doesn't mean that you're going to be moved to tears because you have no idea what's going on with me. It's personal. So my weeping is me. Where mourning is an actual atmosphere. Someone is lost. I remember... Uh, when my grandfather died, and it, it was definitely his time, but you still feel loss. Even if you know it's their time, there's a period of grieving. Now, if you've lost someone close to you, I've got a question for you. Did you have a time limit set for yourself to how long you were going to grieve? Did you say, all right, we're going to go for a week, and then I'm not going to grieve about this anymore? I don't know about you, but that's not, a, that's not something that I do, because is there really a time period set on it? You, how many of you guys have thought, all right, this is not going to be as big a deal as I thought, and it turned out to be months and months and months of getting through it? That's, a, that's the reality of this, is that it's so much deeper. Let me replace the words, though, weeping and mourning. Let me replace them with the words that we're talking about. Look good and stay in control. Not the same. Look good means controlling your image to gain favor with man. I look good on the outside so that people like me. I do the right things, even if it's against God's will, so that people accept me. How many have ever done that? I know I have. Chosen to lie about the circumstance to gain favor with the people that you're talking to, while in the back of your head realizing, oh my gosh, I'm lying to this person. And there's something... I'm going to have to go back and talk to this other person. I'm going to have to repent. This is horrible. But in the moment, I'm like, I'm going to choose to look good in front of people. And this look good spirit 
And let me tell you, this could take three hours to unfold look good because it's so big. Our society is so wrapped in it. But the opposite, staying in control, controlling the atmosphere to gain personal or corporate satisfaction. Remember, I said it was personal or it was corporate, or personal or it was the actual atmosphere of the room. Controlling the atmosphere would be like me acting a certain way when I walk in the room and because I know that when I act this way, I'm going to get this result from this person and it's going to change things for me. I, can you think of a circumstance in your life where you're like, all right, I'm going to change around the way I approach this person to get a favorable response from them? Is that fair? You say, I'm going to change the way I word that to do it. But what if God said, that's not the way I want you to word it. I want you to word it this way, and you say no. That's what I'm talking about here, is I'm going to ch- um, ch- control the atmosphere. That's something, uh, does anybody, I know this is horrible. Has anybody ever seen the movie Hitch? Do you know what I'm talking about? Hitch. Okay, he sets up the guy in the perfect favorable atmosphere and situation for that guy to have the best state of his life and get the girl that he never could have. That's what I'm talking about, is that staying in control says, I'm going to set my circumstances up around me. I'm going to set everything up so that I succeed. I feel good. I'm in control. Everything's okay around me. How many of you guys hate change of schedule? With a passion, you hate it. You're like, you change a schedule on me, and I'm going to throw fists you change that we're going to do this instead of this at first. Oh, that makes me so mad. That's what I'm talking about, is that you're, in your heart, you want to stay in control so much that when the Lord says it's time for something else, we don't go there. So, again, they're not the same. You could look at it like this. Look good or being obedient. Which one is greater? Or maybe this. Is my image greater or is his kingdom greater? Is my image more important or is his kingdom more important? It's really hard, but when we choose his kingdom over our image, that is when his spirit can really begin to come down in our lives. There was one time, I probably have shared this story before, um, where my image really got shaken because I, the Lord asked me to do something I really didn't want to do. I was in a worship meeting. I was sitting halfway back on the end of the row, and my eyes closed, and I heard the Lord say, open your eyes and look to the right. And I did, and there was a guy quietly with his eyes closed standing there, and the Lord said, go hug that guy. I had met this guy one time. I don't remember his name. I shook his hand because he introduced himself, and I walked away. And so I'm a little freaked out because my image is about to be messed up a little bit because I'm going to go hug somebody I really don't know, and normally a God hug doesn't last that long. So, I get up out of my chair, and I pace back and forth next to this person for about three minutes, scared out of my mind to hug this guy. Not like he's going to pull a knife out on me or anything and stab me, but I'm scared out of my mind that my image, I'm so, I'm, I was so wrapped up in my image that I wasn't willing to be obedient 
and it wasn't willing for his kingdom to come in that situation. So I finally get up the courage, and I turn to him, and his eyes are still closed, and I just bear hug him. And the moment I do, he starts weeping in my arms. He falls down. I'm holding him on the floor, and we sit there for five minutes. And he's crying. My shirt was stained with snot. Don't know what's going on with him. He didn't say. So I get up. After a few minutes, he didn't let me go for five, five minutes. I finally get up feeling like, okay, maybe God did something. My image is not that important anymore. I'm going to try to be more obedient from now on. I get up and go sit back down in my chair. And the service goes on. About 20 minutes later, it's time for um, people to come up and share what God's doing this, in that week of conferences. So this guy immediately gets up out of his chair and runs to the front. The first one there grabs the microphone. And he says, I don't know who you are back there, but when you hugged me, I was having a vision of Jesus opened arm running towards me. And the moment you hugged me was the moment I felt that he was going to wrap me in his arms. He said, thank you. And he sat back down. Even in my disobedience of pacing by him three times, the Lord knew I eventually <laughs> was going to get it right. My image was going to be put to death on the cross. I was going to pick up what, the cross that he had told me to do. I was going to be obedient and I was going to step out and do it. And he set it up to where that guy got tremendously blessed. And the rest of the week, I, he talked to me later and he's like, man, the rest of my week has just been so free. My heart's just been so free because I've found love. He loves me and you help me see that. In a moment in time, I had that decision to make. What am I going to do? Am I going to choose my image or am I going to choose his kingdom? And I want you to be careful because a lot of times this is called fear of man. And some of you guys know what, exactly what I'm talking about. But I want you to look at this. An attitude of weeping is this. It is letting go of your fear of man and allowing yourself to be transformed into the image of Christ. Being humble, transparent, and completely obedient to Father God, no matter what it does to your image. There have been plenty of other times in my life where the Lord said, I want you to go do something. And I was like, what? I can still remember the day where the Lord, I never had gotten anybody's name before prophetically. Never gotten anybody's name before. Lord never told me. One day, I'm sitting, pulling weeds, a summer job, four or five years ago, out in front of, I think it was TJ Maxx. I'm pulling weeds in a flower bed. It's 8.30 in the morning, because you don't want to pull weeds in the summertime at noon. And people, these group of girls start walking in, I think they're probably working, they start walking in there, and immediately the Lord says, that person, turn, that person's name is such and such, you need to tell him this. And that freaked me out. Absolutely freaked me out. And I sat there, and I pulled weeds, and I thought, I can't do this. They're coming closer. They're coming closer. I cannot do this. And they walked inside, and I never saw her. And I realized... My image was so much more important to me in that moment than God coming to this woman. So I want you to be 
aware. And I want to just pray at this moment. We're going to go through the third one. I want to pray at this moment because I feel a heaviness on this, that, that we would develop boldness to be able to step out that when that look good giant tries to creep up and say, yeah, you're looking good's more important, that we would be able to say no. So just bear with me for just one second. Father God, I ask that you would come and release boldness into our hearts, that you would free us from this spirit of having to look good all the time, Father. That we would be able to accept that your kingdom is more important than how I look. That the way that I look on the inside so it matters so much more to the kingdom than the way that I look on the outside. That we know, Father, if if you're going to really come and really dwell in us, then we're going to have to make room for you, Lord. We're going to have to open up our hearts, allow our flesh to die, and allow more of your spirit. Do it in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sorry, I have to do this before I go on. Um, I want you to picture a glass of water. And it is your life completely full of God's presence. And a bunch of rocks get thrown into it. Take up space, and water comes out. There is a principle, amazingly, that God set up in nature, and he does this all the time, where nature relates to our spiritual life. And that is exactly what your heart looks like when you, repl- when you put feeling good and looking good and staying in control above his kingdom. You can't hold as much water because they're, you get weighed down. You, can't, you don't have as much to give away. You don't have as much to pour into other people. You don't have as much even in your own heart, to feel like you're really alive because it's weighing you down. And so I just want to, in that picture, I want to remove some rocks from our lives, and these are three big ones, so that more of his spirit can be poured in. Because right now, if he pours it in, what happens? It doesn't fit. So we have to get something out of us. We have to carve out a space in our heart and space in our lives for his spirit to come in and fill. Just like the principle of the house. Demons left. I don't replace it with anything. He comes back and he brings friends. I don't want that. I want to replace it with truth. Now I talked about staying in control being the atmosphere. I want you to look at this. Everybody knows this verse, right? I can do all things. Unfortunately, there are moments in our life where we take this scripture into our own hands. We say, I can do all things. We forget the rest of it, and we try to fix everything. Ever felt that way? 
I, I thought I could fix everything. I thought if I shuffled all the pieces around and fit them all perfectly, if my schedule was laid out really, really good, if, if I made sure that that person and that person were happy and everybody else was really happy, and every, I felt like I was in control of all the things around me, I would be like so spiritual. I'd be so free if everything was under my control. But the truth is that you have to continue in that verse, and that it's unfortunate that we forget it sometimes that it is only through Christ. Only. There's not a provision there. It says, I can do all things through Christ. That's it. There's not a, I can do some things and he can do some things. I can do all things. I'm equipped to do all things. But what does Christ say about it? What is Jesus, Jesus leading me in? What has he strengthened you to do? You know, if you step outside of the realm that you are strengthened to do, I know for me, um, there are certain areas of my life I can pinpoint where I'm like, I am not good at that. Not good at it. And then when I go try to tackle those subjects without God, <laughs> I fail. Big time. Recently, it just happened this week. Isn't great? I was praying about this particular, um, it's, this particular dance piece. Now, I know that sounds weird, but understand, my wife and I, we own a dance school. We have a dance company that travels. We do a lot of different things um, and have done this for many, many years in the realm of dance. And so this week is dance camp week. And I've been at the studio at least seven hours a day and then three or four hours in the morning here. So it's been very packed and I haven't quite gotten all the vision for this one particular piece that I know that God wants us to do. So I walked in and I, was, I know I needed to do this thing and I knew that my wife would be really good at it. I knew she'd be able to, to put this portion of the choreography together amazing and beautifully that I couldn't do. But I said, I've been doing this for long enough. I got this. And I get in there, and I waste three hours of these dancers' lives <laughs> just to throw it all away <laughs> and start over the next day with her doing what she was supposed to and called to do. I tackle Now, this is a very small thing in life. This was three hours that, not a huge deal. The dancers learned it was great. Little portions of it they used and we moved on. But the principle is still the same, even on the really hard parts in life. I go to tackle something and try to set everything in order all around me. But you know, you can't. Because eventually it's going to fall apart. How many of you guys have had, a complete, have had complete control and it gone perfectly? No, because you'd be God. It's true. You have complete control, and it goes perfectly. You're God. And if you are, come talk to me, because we have another issue to talk about. <laughs> but I want you to consider moving on beyond this. I wanna, this is not, this clicker is not working. And I want to show you why or how staying in control actually really does look like mourning. Remember, we talked about how mourning is an atmosphere of grieving, and staying in control 
is controlling the atmosphere to gain personal and corporate satisfaction. When everybody's happy and satisfied, I'm doing good, right? Well, sometimes no, because is that what God is wanting to do? Just because everybody's happy around me doesn't necessarily mean that I'm doing the right thing. Because we know that when the Spirit of God moves, there's friction. Sometimes it's really difficult when God says to go do something. Sometimes when there's a transition in leadership at churches, and transition in leadership really anywhere, and, and you begin to go into a different direction, how hard is that? Incredibly. There's always going to be that because we were doing it one way and now we're doing it a different way. Well, when God shows up, it's not necessarily going to be any easier. When, we, when he says, do it this, go this way instead of what you think you should go that way, you have to expect friction and expect frustration and hard things sometimes. But the amazing thing is that an attitude of mourning ends up looking like this. An attitude of mourning is relinquishing all control over the atmosphere, accepting my need for him to be in control, and continually seeking for his presence to return and be the governor of my life. I want him to rule and reign in my life. I want him to be the authority. I want him to do it because I know when he does it, it gets done right. I know when he does it, it's the right direction. I can't always trust myself. And in all of this, in feeling good, in stay, trying to stay in control, in looking good on the outside, these are three huge stones in our glass that do not allow more of his presence. That's why it's a hindrance to his spirit. Because it takes up room in our hearts and we are unable to be obedient. We're unable to look at other people in love. Instead, stay in control says, I want to manipulate you to get favor. I want to manipulate myself in looking good to make you like me and get favor. And we know that there's going to be trials and tribulations. The Bible promises it. It's not a suggestion, it's a promise. And along the way, I want to prepare us that when we make this shift and this turn, there's going to be moments that are really difficult and really hard. But it's worth it. Because his presence is worth it. Because more of him in our hearts is worth it. When I feel him, I am more alive. I don't know about you, but when I sense God's presence in the room, in my heart, I feel more alive. I many times explode with joy into doing things that I probably <laughs> wouldn't do without him. If the Lord had not prompted me to hug that person, I probably would never have hugged that person. But he said, do it. I felt his presence all over it. And there was amazing things that came out of it. 
But our image has to die. Feeling good has to die. Our staying in control of all of our situations has to die because what if God wants to do something different? I'll share one funny story and then we'll go. There's a guy I heard preaching one time. He was very long-winded, let's put it that way. And, um, but in the middle, there was a hilarious story. Uh, he, worked, he moves in prophetic very, very strongly. And there was a great story that he told that he had had an experience with that I want to share. So he's uh, off in Central America, preaching, doesn't speak the language. He's sharing with all of these people um, in a, not a very big village, um, but well enough to do to where the highfalutin women of the town all sit together in the same row with their very nice dresses on and their hair perfectly done and kind of sit there crossed-armed judging a little bit. That's just how, kind of how it was. And that's what he walked into. And uh, so in, right in the middle of his sermon, he hears the Lord say, I want you to take your bottle of water, unscrew the cap, and sling all the water in your bottle onto that row right there of women. Like I did, he had some, he took issue with that and wrestled with it for a while, like, really? Like, really? Who would do that? But then the Lord reminded him, well, do you remember when I healed that blind guy? Yeah, do you remember what I did? Yeah, I spit in his eye. That's what Jesus did. He said, so if I use some crazy methods sometimes, if I get outside of your control, if I get outside of looking good, if I get outside of feeling good, because I don't know about you, I don't like to get spit on. That's a feel-good issue for me. But if I am really going to release and let go of all this control and looking good and feeling good, What's going to happen? Well, Jesus did it. He walked the earth doing it. So he said, all right. So he, like I did, kind of paced back and forth, and then finally he took it and ah, just with a yell, like slung it all over that front row. And of course, oh, they start freaking out. And he doesn't even speak their language, so he has no idea what they're saying. So he's kind of stopped the entire meeting for them to have their hilarious moment of frustration. And one particular woman is screaming her head off. And so he's like, okay, I have done something really bad. He gets the interpreter, runs over, asks this woman, what in the world is going on? And she said, I've been blind since birth. And when some of that water hit me, it hit me in the eye. And when I opened my eyes again, I could see. I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but God works in mysterious and uncontrollable ways sometimes. To where our control, our, the way, our way of doing things, it's not going to work. I don't know about you, but normally the response to I need prayer for my eyes is, let's lay your hands on your eyes. Jesus commanded it. Okay, sounds like a great idea to me. Let's lay hands on it. It's the safe thing to do, right? Sometimes it takes you going and hugging. Sometimes it takes you stepping out further. But you're not going to do that if you have to be in control all the time, if you have to look good on the outside all the time, if you have to feel good about yourself on the inside all the time, that's not going to come out. 
I love you all. So it's a, I know it's a mean truth, but it's not. Because he has to be let out in his pure form, unadulterated, unmanipulated by me. As we close tonight, I just want to say this. God deeply desires to replace our lives. I said lies. <laughs> our lies with truth. And the lie is that we have to stay in control. The lie is that we have to look good all the time. And the lie is we have to feel good all the time. Media feeds you that. They feed you that you have to look good on the outside. They feed you that you have to stay in control of your life. They feed you that you have to uh, feel good all the time. If you don't feel good, if you're not happy, like when the people on the commercials, then you're just weird. That's constantly what we get, right? So in that constant feeding, we have to say no what is God's way? I choose him. So tonight I ask, as a visual picture in your own head, as we pray, attempt to take one of these things that I've talked about, get a really good hard look at it and say, how am I going to get free of this? It's going to be hard, it's going to be painful, but you know what? You can do it. You can do it. The lies of all of the media don't have to hold you anymore. They don't have to hold you back anymore. You can walk in his presence in freedom, complete freedom, and it's going to be incredible. Let's pray. Father God, I ask that you would do incredible, powerful, wonderful, unsearchable things that transform our lives so that we would be able to see that we no longer need to feel good all the time, to look good all the time, or to stay in control all the time. Lord, we give up control to you. We give up our image to you. We say, Father, your will be done. As your son put it, I only do what I see my father doing. Lord, I ask that we would do that. We would be able to say, I am going to only do what I see my father doing. simply for the reward of his presence, simply for the reward of a complete, fulfilled glass that is full of you. Lord, I ask that you would help us to identify these areas. I ask that you would show us how to replace the lies with truth and that all these things that we hold up, Lord, that you would in your loving way, tear them down so that we would look more like you. Father, be with us as we go. I'm so thankful that when we go out of here and we look at these issues, we're going to come back so much more full, Lord, that we're going to be able to have an incredible time in your presence because we're so filled up. I ask you to do it. In Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful night. We will see you on Sunday morning.